Hey, man. Um, so last week we, we had great numbers. This week we're down a little bit. So that tells me I've got to work a little harder on my messaging. So, uh, and you've got to work a little harder on your evangelistic approach to culture. But as we get started this morning, I'm going to jump in. I'm kind of going through six, five, maybe seven must wins for men. And so I've jumped in here and put something together. Some years ago, I taught a message not just at Emmaus, but I've taught it here in the uh, righteousness talk. And, and this is not exactly the same as those messages, but I do have the same introductory because I think what I'm trying to, to establish here and what I feel like the Lord has told me is that these are principles that men are going to have to settle in their lives in order to be effective for his kingdom. So last week I said the number one thing is you've got to settle that Scripture is Scripture. If you don't have something to point you to the true north, then we're going to have some trouble. If we don't have something to set parameters on our life, and when I say something, let me say this, we don't worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible. But the Scriptures are given to us as His truth in order not just to know Him, but also learn about ourselves and how we should do life. So as men of God, men of faith, as we uh, approach kingdom business with our lives then we should start there with scripture so the second thing is there's some truths in scripture that we're going to have to to build upon and so as i jump in this morning this truth of righteousness if you've been through the freedom in christ you've heard the truth of righteousness but i would say of all the things that righteousness has done for me when i began to accept this truth when i started realizing that romans 5 6 7 8 9 and 10 don't just talk about the free gift of salvation but it talks about the free gift of righteousness then i began to be transformed because i realized i'm no longer trying to make the team i am the team and i can focus on my position in the team see we work so hard on trying to get accepted by jesus get accepted into his kingdom get accepted and do things the right way and then we sin we fall short and we think well I just got kicked out again I'm going to start working my way back in or I've gone so high on the ladder and I just messed up again I'm going to I just fell off the ladder I got to start back up I got to start back over but men this is why you have to settle this this is a foundational truth and so what I jump in today and how I jump into this it's kind of funny to begin with but I want you to know it's something that we as men have to have settled in our life. When you were saved, when you confessed Jesus as Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you received not just the gift of salvation, you received the gift of righteousness. To define righteousness, it is as it should be between myself and my Lord, not based upon my merit, but based upon what he did and my faith in what he's done. Make sense? In the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. As my faith is in that, then I'm no longer having to work my way in as if we could, but I am because he says that I am. And I can because he says that I can. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for these men. As we jump into this this morning, Father, talking about these five, six, seven foundational truths that every man should carry in order to lead his household, in order to lead his life, his household, his friends, his church. This needs to be settled in us. Father, because until we're confident in who we are, we are fairly ineffective for your kingdom. And so, Father, uh, just help establish this in each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I, I started with this. I don't know if you've, you've heard me say this before. This is kind of funny. Just bear with me. If you've heard it, it's funny. All right, you'll enjoy this. I started out my life as, as being almost but not quite. 
almost but not quite. I don't know if you've ever been almost but not quite, but I have. My first day at kindergarten, I cried until they brought a friend to my class, Tori Earlbeck. She's a doctor today. You can tell she did really good with her life. Um, she's a doctor today, and, and Tori and Tara Earlbeck were twins, and they, were, they grew up next to us on the farm. They had the neighboring farm, and uh, you know I cried and cried. So I actually went and took her out of her class and brought her to my class and put her in our class. And then I was good, and, you know, I, I was almost ready for kindergarten, but not quite. In sixth grade, running broad jump, I was one inch from setting the school record. I was almost, but not quite. My whole life, I wanted to play football, so in seventh grade, I went out for the team, of course. I played. I didn't make the real team. Uh, there was a gold, there was a silver, there was a bronze team, and then there was some other color, and I made that team. Almost, but not quite. Later, I would make varsity and think college football would be for me. However, I wasn't quite big enough or fast enough. I was almost, but not quite. Joined the Army, went through 91 Alpha School, uh, GMO, became a medic, got my 91 Bravo Field Medic, all that stuff, 91 Juliet. And then they phased the smallest corps in the Army. They wound up phasing it out. I was almost, but not quite. Two years later, I would compete for Soldier of the Year. I made it to the finals, and I got runner-up. I was almost, but not quite. I later found myself attempting to be a physical therapist, but the Army phased that program out as well, and you had to go back to school and get your undergraduate and then reapply for a graduate program, so I was almost, but not quite. I was called to youth ministry. You know the story where the college minister walked, into my, walked by my office one day, and he said, hey, you're not really a youth minister, are you? Hey, you've never been to seminary, have you? And I said, no. He said, well, why does it say minister on there? You're not a real minister. I was almost, but not quite. I'm going to tell you this morning, man, the world is going to tell you that you're almost, but not quite. It's going to sell you short. It's going to make you have, if you're not careful, an idea of lack in life. Many of you live in lack. You listen to the wrong voice, the voice of this lack. Satan doesn't have to attack you because the truth is you're already attacking yourself, just like I did. You're going to say, I'm not strong enough, I'm not big enough, I'm not fast enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not skinny enough, I just can't make the team, I'll never measure up to what God has for me. But you don't have to. Jesus has already done that for you. Only you can be you. You must steward yourself well. You knew God knew you before you were born. He has a plan for your life. But before you can see that, you must put your faith and trust in Him and believe that He is the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. Because as we do that, you'll see that what He says about you is much different than what the world says about you. You, says, you say, I can't measure up. He says, I did measure up so that you are measured up. So I've done a lot of things in my life, but the most important thing I've done is being a husband and a father. And you don't need to hear about me necessarily this morning, but I'll have your heart in just a couple minutes, men, because if you are men of God, there's some things that you're innately going to have. One of those is, as a man, you are called to be a father. Now, whether or not you fathered your own children or whether or not you help father children within the church, some of you are grandfathers, maybe great-grandfathers. You know, Allison, my wife, I don't know if you've heard our story. Our story's simple. Uh, we met in church. She walked up and stated that she wanted to help lead worship. And I said the famous words, can you sing? Uh, so strike one. 
I had her come up that very evening. My wife, if you don't know, she has a very good voice, a great voice in, in her husband's eyes. And, and she, uh, I said, if you'll come up here, I would like to, to listen to you sing, play the piano, you know, and you'll have to give your testimony before the youth. I was a youth director at that time, of course. And, uh, geez, she started singing. I was like, I'm done. Why am I singing? And so, anyway, there was a problem there. She was dating an Aggie down at Texas A&M. And she used to come down to my office. <clears throat> my office was in the basement. They were building the new uh, gymnasium for the church and all of that stuff was going on. So I was in the basement down in the choir room and it was kind of interesting. Allison would come down there just about every day. And one day my mother was visiting. She had come through Canyon and she was down there and Allison <clears throat> happened to be in the basement as well. Mom came down the stairs and she visited with Allison and we were both, I had my guitar and she had her piano and and we were practicing some songs mom listened a couple times and then allison said i gotta go and she left and my mom said why don't you date that little girl you know moms and i said well mom uh geez i'm 26 years old she's 20 i've been in the army i've you know all this stuff and she said well you know you are 26 years old and people are starting to talk <laughs> Mother's no, no best, right? And so a couple of weeks later, she was going down to see this Aggie boyfriend, and she came downstairs. We went over the music for the weekend. She was going to be back by, by Sunday and uh, help us lead wor worship for the youth and everything. And it's an interesting story. She came down, and, and we practiced, and she went up. She made it up to the top of the steps. She turned around, and she said, hey, uh, have a great weekend. And I said, let me, let me ask you a question real quick. And she said, what's that? And I said, when is it going to be you and me? And she said, uh, she walked all the way down the stairs, and she stood on a step so she could look at me in the eyes at eye level, and she said, if you're telling me the truth, I will tell him as soon as I get there. I said, yeah, and you tell that Marine if he's got any problems with this soldier boy. I'm just kidding, Troy, I'm just teasing, all right? <laughs> From that day on, I was no longer almost but not quite in her eyes, nor was she no was I, nor was I in hers. That led to a marriage, and then it led to four children. Wade, he's intellectual, he's conscious. If you know him, he's very, he's very quiet. He's read tons of books. He continues to read. Bethany, uh, my second, she's super caring. She's loving. She's very intense. Um, Emma, she loves to tease Bethany. She's number three. She's quite the gymnast. And then there's Hadley. She's ornery. She loves life, and she loves to laugh. Those are my four children. My point being that God has called me to, a, to be a father, to be a husband, and there are some things that I needed to settle, not just for my sake, listen, for their sake. You see, when I settled that Scripture is going to be our final word, and that's the authority in our marriage, and that's the authority in who we are, then this is how we're going to live our life. Not just me, but my family. The same thing with righteousness. I want my kids not to grow up almost but not quite or even have that mentality. I want them to know that they are because he says they are. It is a truth that we need to re-sow into our generations, not just our generation, but the generations to come. See, as a loving father, I never want my kids to believe they're less than. And so all of us need this truth today. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things, including righteousness, all these things will be added unto us. If I were to ask you today, how many could define the kingdom of God? Or who belongs to the kingdom of God? Those good enough? 
or those who believe the right things. See, Jesus tells us when we pray, we are to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How can God's kingdom come when we don't know what it is or we don't know who we are? Some tough questions. See, Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. As Christians, these things are supposed to be evident in us. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Do you carry or does your life encompass or express those things? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So here we go, righteousness. What is righteousness? I said it is as it should be. It also is defined, if you look it up in any of your Bible dictionaries, it's going to say that which is right, which is just, which is expected by the one who set the rules. With God, all expectations have been met. And so this is why we can reduce that to it is as it should be between me and my Heavenly Father based upon my belief and my faith in what He's done. Romans 5, 17, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as though the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, speaking of Jesus, the many will be made righteous. And so there it is. And like I say all the time, if you don't believe chapter 5, read chapter 6. Chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, whatever. So here's, here's the problem. I've got some things to kind of unpack in the tension part of this. The first tension I would say is this. For most of you, you don't feel righteous. Well, here's the truth. I don't feel fat. All right, it's not about feelings. Truth is truth. We either believe what the Word says or we don't. It's pretty simple. The Word is not concerned with how we feel. It's concerned about what we believe. And by the way, when I say Word, now I'm using it in all three contexts. So it's, I'm not just talking about the Word of God in, in the Bible. Jesus is the living, breathing Word as well. The Holy Spirit the Word of God. Proverbs 24, 16, a righteous man falls seven times, but he does what? He gets back up. Seven times is the number of infinity. You will fall. My kids fall. I say this all the time, but I don't take my last name as house. I don't take house off the back of their jersey. I help them get back up and move towards their true north. Second tension, I would say it will, some of you believe that, well, if I truly feel righteous or if I, if I act righteous or if I if I see myself as part of the team, then how will that keep me from living a compromised life? In other words, you've heard this said, it, 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 the once saved, always saved theory. It, 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 if that's you or that's me, what prevents us from just using that for a compromised life? Hey, I'm going to sin because I'm forgiven anyway. It's kind of like driving down a highway at 90 miles an hour because you're a policeman. Who's going to pull you over? Right? Now, it, 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 what, what keeps us from living this compromised life? It's too good to be true. How can I be righteous when I did what I did last night? Thought what I thought, watched what I watched, went where I went. It's just too good to be true. It just simply is. See, you didn't set the rules. God did. 
2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Faith righteousness does not excuse us from sin. It empowers us to overcome sin. Look, you will still have a conscience. The Holy Spirit is at work in you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and you are going to know the difference between right and wrong. And sometimes you will choose wrong. Man, it just happens. And you're going to know. And if you don't, your wife's going to tell you. Right? <laughs> because the Word's at work in you, but it's also at work in us. So faith righteousness, it doesn't excuse us from sin. It simply empowers us to overcome sin because it is Christ who dwells in me, and greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So obedience is the fruit it's not the root, so I would say that obedience is, is going to bring me fruit in my life as I obey His Word, and as I believe what it says, not just about God, but what it says about me. And if you're living a compromised life, it's because you don't believe what God is saying about you, and that He has more for you than you have for you. Third tension. I can say this because we're in a men's group. Tip for tat theology maybe you grew up in the church with a mom or dad who constantly said god sees that god knows what you did liars go to hell did you hear any of that <laughs> growing up oh my goodness this really bleeds through our adult life we we say this all the time but you know it's not the child oftentimes that it's that that's at risk it's the adult that that child becomes because uh i had a man tell me just this past week that he was in conversation with another guy, that uh, an, uh, an employee, and that employee simply told him that uh, no one's perfect, not even Jesus. And so he stopped him and he said, what do you mean not even Jesus? He said, well, that's what my mom always said. So maybe you grew up with that tit-for-tat theology that we have to, we're always on, on a, a balance, on some type of scale. And it really does bleed through our adult life. And even though God doesn't condemn us, we oftentimes condemn ourselves and we are no longer effective for His kingdom. It's not behavior modification. See, the Scripture says He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter of the Spirit, because the letter kills, but the letter of life. And the Spirit, or not of the letter, but of the Spirit. I'm sorry. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. See, the Pharisees had added over 200 commandments. Some say... Uh, all the way up to 600 commandments, even to this day. <clears throat> you know, I can preach people to hell faster than ACDC can sing, sing, sing to them and get them there. You know, they can build a pretty quick highway as well. But you know what? People say they like it. Thanks for stepping on my toes. We tend to combine covenants, but you can't be righteous if you try to get there any other way than through Jesus. It's simply in Him. Fourth tension. Righteousness. Some believe that righteousness is not automatic or instant. So here's the thing. It is a gift. So when I give my children a gift and I say unwrap it, it's theirs. However, they may not know how to use that gift at that time in their life. Everything that I have belongs to my children. If God were to take me from this earth today, then they have a great inheritance and a great debt. Just saying. But, so God, don't take me too early. I really need to pay out of this thing. But, 
they have this inheritance, but if they inherit the keys to my pickup, they can't, well, wade, well, even that. Okay, maybe Wade could drive it, right? But they're not ready. He's ready, but Bethany and Emily and Hadley, by no means, they, they can start it, right? So they're not quite ready. So my point is, is this, it is automatic, it is instant, but as we walk with our Lord through prayer, meditation, fasting, reading the Bible, those types of things, we begin to walk our righteousness out as well. So it's a both and. It's a both now and not yet. We're going to get there, men. Stay the course. Keep going. Keep the right belief system because as this happens, you will get there. One day you'll say, I am righteous. And look, it won't look like pride. It'll look like confidence in your Holy Spirit. You know when, you're, when, when your kids finally reach that age where they go, we are blessed. I was sitting at the table the other night. Dad cooked a roast. I have no idea. Never known my dad to cook a roast. Came back from Cedar Canyon from the closing at the Emmaus Walk and uh, called Dad. He had my oldest daughter. He had Bethany. She hung out with him for that day. And he said, hey, we cooked you a roast. You want to come here and eat it? And I said, well, I'm already back in Canyon. So I'll just bring it to you. I said, all right, well, the family will, will eat with you. Or at least a handful of us will. Two girls were throwing up. So they uh, got there. He got there. And we sat down around the table to eat the roast. And after we finished eating the roast, Wade got up. He was the first one to get up. And he went around the table and he took everybody's plates and he took everybody's napkins and he threw them in the trash. This is my oldest. He's 16. And what I see is he's recognizing the blessing of being in our family. But two years ago, that boy ain't going to pick up nobody's plate. Let's just be honest. Let's be real, right? But as he walks it out in life, as he walks with his father, as he watch, walks with his mother, and he begins to realize we don't have to say those things anymore. You see, it's, it's, a, it's a now and not yet. As we walk with our Heavenly Father, these truths become truths in us. He begins to continue to, to speak to us and remind us who we are and whose we are and what we're called to. See, as, as my children grow up as houses, they understand more about life more about how to live life as they spend time with their mom and dad righteousness is a gift for you you've got to unwrap it so outside of being born again i'm going to tell you men outside of being born again nothing affects your life more than what you believe about your righteousness we need confident men in this church because we need fathers and we need grandfathers in this church if you have white hair, bless you. We need you. If you don't, keep walking, and long enough you will. I promise. Right? I mean, it just happens. And, and we need men to be men and know who they are as men of God. Because our children, watch, our children. I love the mentorship program. I love to see the, the college right now comes in and teaches our youth small groups. What are they looking at? That's the next steps. And these kids are walking the life with Jesus. And that's where I want to walk. But at the same time, when they see our elderly here on Sunday morning or on Tuesday morning, they're saying, we're, we're, we're a witness to our children of staying the course, walking, the, walking with the Father, both now and not yet. You'll stumble along the way, but you will reach your destination, and the destination ultimately is Jesus. You've got to believe this. It's foundational. 
See, I always wanted to be quarterback on a high school football team, but I actually made the team on defense first. But it didn't matter because I made the team. And I got to, once I made the team, what did I get to do? I got to focus on my position. And each one of you have a position on God's team. You were created for His purpose. You've got to guard this truth, this truth, men, because the world will try to convince you differently. By the way, you will attempt, if you're not careful, to disqualify yourself and to say, hey, I'm on the team, but I'm going to play from the sidelines. Well, you don't make a whole lot of impact from the sideline. You want to get on the field. You want to get messy. It doesn't always look the way you want it to look. It doesn't always go the way you want it to go. But it doesn't change who you are, ever. So we do what we believe. So do you believe that you are righteous? Do you believe what Jesus did on the cross is enough? Have you ever viewed the cross in light of, He gave me this gift of righteousness, not just salvation? It is finished. See, would it be offensive if someone carried you to the promised land, but you decided to walk? Maybe. Faith righteousness is activated by your work or by your belief in the finished work of the cross. That Jesus did it all. John 6, 28, I like to go to this scripture often. The disciples ask him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in whom he has sent. In other words, they're saying, hey, we've got to have a way to work in. I mean, you've got to think about the disciples, the Jews. Uh, they just knew work. I mean, I met with a Messianic guy yesterday. Love is knowledge and everything else. Love, love discussing the Scripture and, and uh, the historical views and, and even the logos or the Christ of the Old Testament. I love those conversations when I have time for those conversations. However, he, he just nailed it. All of these things were man's attempt. And God proved that man couldn't do it because our God is holy. So the truth is, it's through our faith. And the disciples had the same struggle. Well, look, we've been taught that you have to, you have to pay a penitence. You have, to, you have to live your life in a certain way, in a certain order. You, we have to get our life in order in order to work our way into the grace of God. And Jesus, he came and he taught them. He said, let me tell you what those works are. The work is to believe in the one whom he has sent. And if you pay attention to your life, you'll see even with the gift of righteousness that something is attempting to steal that belief from you. For some of you even right now, because you're thinking of what you looked at or possibly what you did yesterday, I've already disqualified myself. Yes, you have. But your faith in Christ has qualified you. I, I, I started becoming strong when I made this a foundational truth in my life, oh, I've got this gift, you know, I don't have to sin. I choose to, and sometimes I simply will. Sometimes anger will hit me like that, and I'm like, I'm mad now. I, I, now, I don't want to sin in my anger, but I got the potential, right? And so, you know what that is, or a bad thought, or a bad word, or going back to, to who we used to be, calling up that old flesh, you know what it is. You've got to protect 
your heart. You've got to guard your heart so that when we fall, God has given us a gift of repentance. Lord, help me, forgive me, strengthen me, because I know greater are you that is in me than you than he that is in the world, and I've got to depend upon that. I am not out of your kingdom. I'm in your kingdom. You bought me with a price, so I need your help, Lord. I need your word for this time, for this purpose in my life. I don't want to be yoked to a yoke of slavery anymore. And once you begin to guard that truth in your heart, men, then God will begin to empower you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 will become very real in your life. No temptation has overtaken you, but that which is common to man. And with that temptation, God will provide you with a way of escape. And you'll start seeing the ways of escape because he's going to be Lord of your life. You see, outside of being born again, like I said, nothing has affected my life than what I believe about my righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, He made Him who knew no sin to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So here we are. Jesus is our righteousness. I would say this is the second most foundational truth in our walk with the Lord. So if we talk about five must wins or seven must wins, I don't know how many I'm going to put on here. Ten must wins. Winless. We're going to keep going. But when we look at this, this is a must win for us. This impacts everything we do throughout the day and how we live our lives and our confidence in what Jesus has called us to as our position becomes more and more affirmed on the team.